Welcome into episode 52 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I am happy to be joined once again by Travis Graff and David Sisk of Cats Illustrated. Travis, what's up? Uh, struggling today. I've got a killer migraine, but the show must go on. The fans want a new source to say podcast, so that's what we're going to give them. And my dog just decided all of a sudden to get squeaky in the background. So I'm probably going to uh, go go bonkers over here. I'm looking at you all on a Zoom screen right now, and this migraine has me seeing like three of you guys. Well, we, we, we appreciate you fighting through for the brand. Uh, anything anything to, to let the show go on. David, what's going on with you, man? Well, that's three times to sexiness, huh? <laughs> Of you, not Jack. Do, do, do I look as good with a migraine as I do when you don't have one? Uh, you know, not, I, I would think I would think I probably don't look good when you have a migraine because my wife has them quite often at night. So uh. yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, I mean, if she's with you, she probably thinks you look better when she has one. So. <laughs> well, she three, all the downtime. three threes is a nine. Yeah. So You're almost a ten, David. There you go. You're you're inching inching to that ten that ten status. Okay, today we have another very busy show planned for you. Plenty to talk about. We'll start with Kentucky basketball's decision to t- to send kids home for a week. Then we'll talk about more rumblings about UK's summer workouts, a few recruiting updates, and then we'll debate uh, some player comparisons. I did a post on KSR kind of a one-by-one, all six of Kentucky signees, a a player comparison with, you know, NBA players, former Kentucky guy, unfair, like, superstar comparison. It'll be fun. You guys can tell me how stupid I am with that. We're also back with our first sponsor, MyBookie, so we'll continue to celebrate that and tell you all you need to know about them here in just a bit. Uh, So first up, let's discuss the one-week break the Kentucky basketball team received this week and what we think about their decision to break that bubble. So uh, I believe it was Friday morning players started to leave campus, uh, you know, flying out. Devin Askew heading back out to L.A., B.J. Boston heading out to L.A., Terrence Clark heading up to to Boston. They're all heading home uh, for a one-week hiatus. Uh, I believe they're coming home Sunday morning is the official the official return date. I was told that this is nothing COVID related, not a you know scare that they wanted to just get guys off campus, whatever. Things went extremely well, almost you know so well that they made the decision to leave campus. That was the biggest part of it. They just wanted to give these kids a little like mental health cleanse, I guess you could say. But I wanted to ask what you guys thought about their decision. You know, with how. Th- things have been going you know apparently the bubble's been you know perfect up to this point no positive test with with COVID uh things have just been looking great they've been able to get some real solid practices in and they decide to kind of pop that bubble at least temporarily so I wanted to see what you guys thought about that Travis let's start with you do you think that it was a stupid decision on their part or do you agree with with their uh decision to move forward with with a little break for them well you see in the grand scheme of things the bubble isn't – I mean, the the bubble gets burst every day, if you think about it. The coaches go home to their families and their kids. Their families have been around other people. Then they come back in the bubble. The bubble's worked up until now. I think it's – but I think in the grand scheme of things, it's a great thing for uh, for the players to be able to go home 
and kind of like you said, like a mental cleanse, get to see their families before the semester starts, before it starts getting down to the nitty gritty of the training. Because what they've seen now isn't Camp Cal, isn't like the the uh, the last practices leading up the last couple months of the summer. But I think uh, it's been successful so far as a bubble. I think they'll bring everybody back in just fine. David, do you agree with that decision? Do you think uh, uh, that in the long in the long run, you know, say, you know, what if a player does pick it up at the airport on the way back or whatever the case is? Do you, you know, w- you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously, but would you agree with this with this, this decision? Do you agree with it currently, even if something were to happen on on the way back or while they're gone? It kind of makes me nervous getting off campus because it, it looks like the only thing that's working right now in sports is the NBA bubble. And, uh, of course, you know, PGA tournament too. But I, I just don't think you can take things like NASCAR and the PGA where they're individual sports and there's no contact. Um, I just don't think they're comparable. And I think we look at the NBA and we've seen, you know, they've, they've spent, a, gosh, what, $150 million, I think, on 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 their bubble. And I uh, had a friend tell me, like, was down in Orlando between every game, they're like they're spraying down everything, the court, the backboards, and you know you look at Major League Baseball, and it, it's not as stringent. You can see that there's problems there, and we we see it some on campuses. And I just really it's, it just seems like it's not even about whether you make good decisions or not. You know, you you I mean I don't expect them to go out and go crazy, but you can get around the wrong person, like you say to coaches and their families. So there's that risk there. So. I just hope they're careful while they're gone. So my my understanding is things have been going extremely well within you know within on campus back and forth between the basketball facilities during practice. So things started with you know they just they showed up they had to quarantine for a little while they were able to go in and have like individual workouts get get some shots up on the gun uh, you know and I think it, then that kind of spread to one player on each end of the floor and then slowly, you know, day by day, they were able to add more people on. Then on July 20th, the coaches were able to come. And I was told that it went from, you know, they were able, it went from the single workouts to, you know, twos and threes. And they were able to kind of get some little tiny, you know, competitions going and and not, you know, full runs or anything, but the, the competition was actually, you know, it was, it was starting to pick up. And then I was told the day before they left, that they actually got some five on, it wasn't five on five, it was five on zero work, you know, just kind of team, you know, teamwork and, and, you know, learning how to, they were implementing the UK basketball, you know, John Calipari's offense. And when you get to that point where a lot of teams aren't even on campus yet, they're so far ahead of, of the competition right now that if you're John Calipari, you know, you have a, a, a reason to give these kids a break. They're, you know, so far advanced, they, they're starting to learn the system, they're getting acclimated, their stuff's already here, they're moved in. So when they do come back on Sunday, it's going to be a, okay, we're going to quarantine them no matter what happens. They'll, they'll quarantine until they get positive tests back. Uh, they'll get, you know, they'll, they'll start doing the regular testing like they've been doing. And then they'll be able to, you know, reseal the bubble within, you know, a week or two. The season's not going to start until November. We're still several months away from even actual real tr- camp happening. So, there's no real rush. And I mean, and and when it boils down to it, a week off to kind of, you know, give them a cleanse, you know, go back, see their families a little bit. 
it allows them to get back, be focused for what could be a several month lockdown on campus, uh, you know, working with the coaching staff and all that. So I agree with the decision. I think it, it ended up working out nicely. I've actually, I actually talked to Devin Askew's dad earlier today. He said that uh, Devin, you know, the first couple of days they were excited. They were, you know, doing, you know, father son bonding time. They went to go to the driving range together. Things were all awesome. And then, you know, by like day three, he's already like, all right, I'm ready to go back to Lexington. So the, the team, they're already excited to get back. Things are working. So I, uh, I think it's a good decision on their part. And I'm excited, excited for it. What was that? Who were the two that were staying? Sorry. I- Sar and Isaiah Jackson, because Isaiah Jackson stayed, uh, he, he showed up late. He didn't get back until, what, two weeks ago. So he, he ended up staying back. I believe the reason why he didn't make it originally, there was a, an illness in the family. I think his grandmother or grandfather, something like that. Um, so they, you know, he, he, he wasn't able to get on campus until late anyway. And Olivier Sar, he'd be end up going back to North Carolina. He's moved out of his old place on, on campus at Wake Forest. So you know, this is his home. This is where he's staying. Yeah, he's really got nowhere to go. Yeah, he can't fly back to to France. So this is, as of right now, things went extremely well. And and uh, and I, I commend the coaching staff for how how well they've been able to to manage this and and keep things under wraps. And it kind of gives you hope for the college basketball season about okay, if every campus can do something like this, maybe maybe the the optimism goes up about about there being a college basketball season. So. Regarding the actual on-campus, on-court activities that we've been hearing last week, we talked a little bit about the, you know, just the, the first run of, of first impressions. You know, uh, Travis, I believe you heard a little bit about Devin Askew back then. I heard, right. you know, the, the got, Terrence Clark's been out there. What? We got the majority. We got the bulk of our scoop on that, like the day or the evening after we recorded or the day after we recorded. I forget which one it was, but it was like, Short, short period after we recorded, so I was like, damn it. But, <laughs> but you'll yeah. hear all that in today's episode. And there's yeah. some exciting news that kind of – I mean, it caught me off guard. So Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's jump right into that. Last week we heard a little bit – it was kind of a – the team, they weren't really as willing to talk and, and be open about how things are going, the summer practices. I think they, they kind of held things under wraps a little bit more. So, you know, we heard a little, you know, little touch of B.J. Boston looking good, a little bit of Terrence Clark looking good. I had heard – you know, Cameron Fletcher, Lance Ware looking, looking solid. Travis, you heard a little bit. I think, I think by the time we recorded, there was a little bit of Devin Askew stuff, I think. Just, just, a, just a touch. Um, so we talked a little bit about that. The team, team looking good, confident, chemistry's up. But this week, we've heard a lot more about uh, how, how things are going. So Travis, you start with this one. Uh, what, what have you heard and, and why are you excited about, uh, about how things are going? Well, first thing I've heard is Terrence Clark might be the best freshman that Kentucky's had since De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk. Sorry, I'm kind of stuttering. I'm, I'm telling you, this migraine sucks right now. <laughs> but I'm, I'm pushing through. I'm pushing through. Um, they love his ability. They love his athletic ability. They they think he can run points, something that we'll get to here in a little bit. We've talked about that a lot on here. That was one of the main recruiting pitches whenever they were recruiting him. They think that he can run some point. There, there's going to be situations in games where he does run point because he can go get it. He does things that Davion Mintz and Devin Askew can't do when he's in the ball and ISO situations. But they love his paint finishing ability. They, I mean, I talked about it before. He has that, quote, asshole trait on the court where he knows he's better than you. And there's another word for that term, but I can't say it on here. <laughs> and David knows what I'm talking about. And the 
Like, he knows he's better than you. He's, he's going to talk his talk, but he's going to walk the walk at the same time. B.J. Boston might be the best three-level scorer that Cal Perry has had here. And, I mean, he's going to be in the discussion. I'm not ready to put him at number one, but they think really highly of him. Um, just normal B.J. Boston stuff that we talked about last week. The kicker here, the one I was really surprised about, Devin Askew, is who I'd heard a lot of praise about. And I, people on the show know I've been skeptical about how he will handle – uh, SEC defenses, SEC athletes. I've always been skeptical of his uh, dribble separation, one-on-one, you know, one on, one on one. something that is key in the Calipari system is point guard beating their man off the dribble, being on snake, snake screens, getting mismatches for others. But I've heard that he's looked terrific. They, he's bigger and stronger and faster than they thought he was. He's been shooting the ball well. I've had somebody close to the program tell me that, like, they're preparing for all four guys, quote, all four guys, meaning – Davion Mitz, Devin Askew, B.J. Boston, and Terrence Clark, their main guys at the point at the guard and wing spots to leave after this season. So they're recruiting accordingly, and we'll get into more targets that they're reaching out to later. But, like, they think that he's – like, they he's been a huge surprise to everybody on campus. And I'm to the point now where I said Davion Mitz would start from day one just because of his experience, but I think that it's going to be Devin Askew just based on what I've heard because – the reviews I'm getting on him are kind of how they're, – they're similar to how Emmanuel quickly sounded last year about how the growth that he had. It's kind of getting the same type of review for me. So, that's that's exciting. I'd love to eat some crow on that. I, I hope Devin Askew is a first-round draft pick. I would love that. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you – behind the scenes, I've been the guy that said, man, that's a guy that I, I – desperately want that's a that's a guy that can help you win a national championship at Kentucky love his game love his competitive fire you've always been like yeah you'd love to have him on your team but can you trust him to lead you know lead them you know on court skill wise to lead them to a title can and just does like, he have that dribble separation does he have that you know being being able to beat you off the dribble he there's still as, as you can be as competitive as you want but can he bring that oomph to the table and it from the way it sounds, it sounds like that's what he's bringing. Yeah, just like any other point guard, though, in the Calipari system, especially freshman point guards, he's going to have some growing pains. So we might not see this early on, but, I mean, he showed me promise through these early workouts than that a lot of people thought he would all year. Like, but he's bringing more – they think that he'll bring more to the table than they thought, and they think that he's going to win them a lot of ball games this year, help win them some ball games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's very, very intriguing for sure because – I've been the one I, I've been saying that I thought Davion Mintz would be the guy that okay he's a level-headed guy he's done this before at Creighton he was you know able to to make an impact at a big name school like Creighton over the last couple of years I thought it would be him to kind of right the ship to start with and then once he's ready have Devin ask you take the reins over but I mean by the sounds of things I mean it sounds like he's he's ready to roll and I mean that's 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 very very exciting about the potential of this team I actually heard myself a name that I kind of thought we would hear more about this offseason considering he has been in the system he knows it he had that confidence build late in the year coach Cal trusted him late in the game in Florida and that's that's uh Keon Brooks I actually heard today that Keon Brooks is built I mean he's built up looks awesome uh, you know that, that above all else his confidence is there and I think that's something that kind of started late in the year when coach I think when you kind of separate last year's group into tiers it was obviously Tyrese Max, Maxi, Emmanuel quickly uh, and Nick Richards in that top tier of okay you're going to be the go-to guy on this roster and then in that tier below it was the okay Ashton Hagens 
EJ Montgomery, Nate Sestina, Johnny Juzang, that kind of group. And I thought Keon Brooks separated himself in that second group to be that kind of that fourth or fifth option on that team. And we saw how that went against Florida that, that Coach Cal said, we want, we want to give you the ball. We're trusting you to finish this game for us. And, I mean, he, he played extremely well. And, you know, I think he's built that confidence of, okay, my coach believes in me, thinks that I can be a true difference maker at the next level. I'm going to turn this into my, you know, my off-season training. He's bulked up. He's stronger. He's building confidence in his shot, his ball handling. And, and I think the, the team is now starting to look at him and be like, okay, maybe this kid is ready to be the leader on this team. Maybe this is going to be Keon Brooks' team. And, you know, may, he doesn't have to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. It's about how he leads that locker room, how he, you know, leads practices, stuff like that. And I think – I mean, I mean from, from everything I've heard, Keon Brooks has sounded uh, incredible. David – based on what you've heard so far, you know, is, is there an individual person that you're the most excited about or somebody that you're like, ah, that's what I needed to hear to kind of, you know, give me, you know, give me confidence about what this team could be potentially down the road. BJ Boston and Clark, just because you know that they're both have got the potential to be really, really good right off the bat. And so when I hear that, it doesn't really catch me off guard. And I'm, I'm kind of guarded against blowing kids up this early because we've heard it before. It seems like most of your kids come through Kentucky when they first get there, you know, you're really hearing how good they are and how good they're going to be. And then, you know, when the lights come on, that's when you find out. So we're still a long way away from that. I think anything, obviously, that you can hear about Askew is good. And then uh, between uh, Isaiah Jackson and Lance Ware, I would like to see one of those guys uh, step up, although I think both are, are, are probably on down the road a little bit. But, you know, depending on what happens with Olivier Starr, but I would like nothing better than, than to hear that, hey, one of those guys, along with Devin Askew's, really come out better than, than, than any of us thought, like Travis said. But it's uh, – we'll see. Like I said, I'm kind of guarded about all this. Because, like I said, you, you, you know, we were hearing that about Johnny Juzang at this time last year. So it, it, yeah. it, it remains to be seen. Yeah, I, I think that's totally thing, fair. People are, asking, people are asking me, like, what about so-and-so? These are just the people that I've heard about individually from different individuals I've talked about. That don't mean that the other people are sucking it up. We're going to hear more and more as the kids get back on campus, get worked out. They're, we're going to start hearing stuff about Isaiah Jackson, Cameron Fletcher, how all these, all these people look. So in time, those will be the ones. But these were the – main guys that stuck out and people made a point to tell me and Jack about. So that's been the the frustrating part of it is because the, the, the first run of feedback that we, that we both got, it was almost like the, the team, it was like, man, this whole, this whole unit as, as a whole, I mean, they're looking really good. The chemistry's there, they're bonding well. And, and they have this, this, this total goal of, man, we got to win a national championship. This is, this is a year we can win a national championship. And it was like, yeah, yeah, like I, I get that. That's that's good. But what about individually? What about and then like it, it was tough to get an actual grasp of. Okay, yes, we get the team itself is looking good and they're confident and and the chemistry is is being built. But what about individually? Who is separating themselves individually? And, and it, it didn't take till this week that we actually started hearing some some individual names pop up, which is very exciting uh, on on numerous fronts. Okay. Before we jump into our next few topics, let's break for just a minute to talk about our friends at MyBookie. Say it with me now, sports are back. 
baby. I've been waiting for this day since March. And now that it's here, I've only got one thing on my mind, my bookie. My bookie is a home run. It's a slam dunk, triple overtime, game winning shot, all wrapped up into one. I love it. You love it. And that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up to the minute odds on all your favorite teams. And with the start of Major League Baseball, there's never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, they pay. Feeling good about your team's chances this year? Be sure to check out my bookie's World Series future bets. Nothing shows you believe in your team more than betting on them before the season even begins. But why stop at baseball? Smart bettors are always looking toward the future. And in this case, that means basketball, hockey, and football. MyBookie is already accepting bets on all your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%, plus they'll toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. All you gotta do is enter promo code P-I-L-G-R-I-M, Pilgrim, when signing up. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. I'm on the app right now. There you go. You should have done this last week. Well, no, the the PGA uh, championships are this week. If I'm going to bet, I bet professional golf. There you go. There you go. I'm going to throw you guys a bone. And and as as an underdog with huge odds, Brendan Todd is plus 10,000. Nice. He's already won twice this year. He almost won last week. Just – and he puts it in a fairway. Hey. These fairways and greens, man, I'm telling you. Well, there What's you go. That, that, Brendan Todd. Hey, I'll tell you what. The, be- the most money I've ever won on an individual bet was, I think, two years ago. Yeah, two years ago, I bet on the Masters. I put 50 bucks – or I put 20 bucks on a bunch of long shots. Patrick Reed at 50 to 1 won the Masters, and he hadn't done crap since, so – <laughs> that was uh, uh, my bookie, not the site. My bookie hated me. So, <laughs> well, this my bookie will love you no matter what you bet. Uh, go ahead, enter that promo code Pilgrim P I L G R I M. Go bet. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be limited to just MLB. We got ML- NBA on, like David said. We got golf. We got PGA Tour stuff. The, Anything you want to bet, they have it for you. I promise you it'll be worth your time. I mean, they're practically giving money away with that $10 future wager. So, by all means, trust me on this one. I'm, Go for I'm it. going to give you three PGA tournament picks before we're done. Okay. Three before we're, before we're off the air. Okay. Is that now or, like, throughout the no, show? You're just going to surprise us. No. Uh, Patrick Cantlay, plus 2,500. Colin Morikawa plus thirty three hundred, Brendan Todd plus ten thousand. I wonder how many. Jeez. I wonder if people are going to get more mad at like whenever they bet your things and then they lose. Well, you're not going to lose. But, I mean, if you do that, like Brooks Kepka's the favorite at plus nine hundred. So yeah, it's not like you're going to. I here's think anything here's worth the gamble. Here's my thing: is are people going to be more mad that we told them about? some golfers that didn't win a tournament or they'd be more bad about like recruiting news that we had right information on at one time that ended up going wrong. Yeah. Why'd you stop? Why'd you stop listening to that? The basketball recruiting podcast? Cause they gave me the wrong odds on a PGA tour winner. One Damn it. You, baby. One star review. <laughs> they made me lose all my money. No. We're going to have to get a new co-host. 
bet bet safely, bet kindly, but do it through my bookie. That's all I have for that one. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk about the NCAA. Is kind of, I mean, they came out about a firing as strong as I've ever seen them in terms of making sure fans know that there will be an on-time start for college basketball this season. So the earlier this week, the NCAA, uh, I believe uh, he is the NCAA senior vice president of basketball. His name's Dan Gavin. He joined uh, Andy Katz, you know, college basketball insider. He's been around forever. He joined his podcast and, you know, he asked about, Katz asked about, okay, you know, what do you think about, the timing of things, when's, when's the season going to start, how, is, how are things going to go. And here's some of the quotes that he had. He said, uh, of course, there's uncertainty for all of us around the game. Obviously, we're looking forward to the NBA finishing their season, the playoffs, crowning a world champion. We're hoping that, go, that goes great because it's a, a great thing for the game and all the players, those of us that love it. In college basketball, we're still planning an on-time start to the season on schedule on November 10th. And then he doubled down. He said, as long as basketball is being played safely anywhere in the world this season, we'll be playing NCAA college basketball as well, both regular season and certainly the tournament in 2021. Okay, so I need to ask you guys, that's, I mean, I mean, that's about as strong of a statement as you could possibly ask for for a, a college basketball fan wanting to know whether or not they can look forward to this upcoming season. Travis, I want to start with you. Does that, you know, does that make you feel better about, about the chances that we get to see the Terrence Clarks of the world and BJ Boston's of the world return to the floor this season? And uh, you know, if, if you were Mark Emmert right now, how would you go about making sure uh, a, a, a college basketball season is played and, and how it would be done, I guess? Well, I mean, does it give me more side, I guess, but at the same time you get on social media and then you see like, right after you see a positive story, you see like three four straight negative stories about why it shouldn't happen. So it's kind of hard for me to get my hopes up and keep them up in that aspect. But I've always been for, like, I, I want the season to be played as much as anybody, uh, football and basketball, just as long as everybody can stay healthy. Um, if there's a way to reasonably do it and nobody's in danger, because that's not a – that would be immoral of me to just put these kids in uh, – want to put these kids in danger just for my enjoyment – and I mean, I know I'm, part of my career is covering sports, but I mean, things are bigger than that uh, mm -hmm. as kids. But I think this whole thing, I mean, they're not amateurs anymore. You're pushing these kids to come back on campus to save your butt, especially in college football, because they're set to lose $100 million in some, like, I don't think that they can be considered amateurs anymore, honestly. Um, as far as I'm like Emmert, like what you said that what I would do if I was in his situation, I don't know necessarily because I don't think it's 100% going to be up to him. I think it's uh, going to be a lot of outside leverage in that situation. But I think – I don't know because you can't – just same thing with college, college football. NBA is the only one that I could see this working because of a bubble. You can't put these kids in a bubble, especially for 24, 24 uh, games a season if, that, if they do a shortened schedule. But – at the same time, it's like college football. I could see college football working because you could travel. You could do bye weeks in between seasons or uh, in between weeks if you wanted to, or you have 14 days to quarantine before the game. I could realistically see that working. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm know as much as anybody else on this stuff. I have no clue. I'm just spitballing here. So, 
David, watching the NBA succeed right now, knowing that the bubble seems like that's the only, you know, the MLB, I believe today they had zero positive tests, which is a, a great step in the right direction, but still, you know, the, the MLB has its flaws in how they're going about doing this. You know, do you think that it would be possible to put together a, a makeshift bubble? I know, like, you know, I was spitballing with with a, a parent earlier today about how they would, you know, how a bubble would even work if that would be the route to go. And, uh, you know, we we're kind of talking about how it could be an SEC only, you know, conference by conference. They find a, a single location and kind of just host all, the entire SEC there. Um, and, you know, just going from experience, University of Kentucky, they have Rupp Arena. They have the Joe Craft Center, which has two you know, full-size NBA-level courts uh, in, in their facilities. They have the M Memorial Coliseum. There's space everywhere for, I mean, there, there are four permanently built indoor courts right now. And I think back, you know, the John Calipari fantasy camp every, every summer, back when I was able to, to go on, they were building, building makeshift courts and random convention centers and kind of storing courts all over the campus. It seems like logistically they'd be able to do it in terms of actually you know making it making basketball happen on on you know on the hardwood but do you think they'd actually be able to make it work in terms of housing and and food and you know do you think a, a college basketball bubble is even remotely conceivable at this point no because <laughs> they're students uh, they have to go uh they gotta go to school and I mean, you know, how long are, are, are they in the bubble when you play? I mean, you start playing it in, in January and they're in the bubble till the end of, of, of March. Um, so, you know, there, there's, and they're going to be around a lot of people. NBA, that's all they do. Uh, and, and I'm like Travis, I, I think the whole uh, idea of a, of a student athlete as amateurs, you know, it's a sham, it's always been a sham. Uh, and it just didn't start with, with them trying to, as Travis put it, save their hides right now, save their butts. Uh, it's always been like that. And, uh, but, but, you know, they're out around other students or going to class. They're out in the real world. Uh, I just, I don't see how you could do it. And, and I think this thing is really going to zigzag uh, going up to the winter. I mean, you could, if you watch Paul Feinbaum a lot during the summer, a lot of us, you know, what, didn't have a whole lot else to do during the day, and we would. If you kind of watched it going back to May, I mean, they're feeling great one week. They're having a football season. The next week, they're not. The next week, maybe. The next week, they are. The next week, they're not. I mean, it's just – it's been a Dow Joneser. It's just been up and down. So, I, I've got a friend uh, here in the small town that I live in, a friend that's originally from here, who is a uh, an athletic director and is on the uh, college football oversight committee He's one of the decision makers, and he guaranteed me at the end of May that he had talked to three or four governors in the South and that SEC football was going to go on schedule in front of 100% capacity. And when uh, things started going downhill, I asked him a month later, and he was like, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. So, you, you know, you're going to hear this stuff, but I don't uh, – I just don't see how – it can work because we just don't know right now what's going to happen. You know, it may end up working, but we don't know. I mean, there's too, too many variables, too many unknowns. Uh, I just think – I do think the SEC, the best option could be them end up playing and the season starts 
after Christmas because when you and they're not going to play any mid majors because they don't have the testing capacities or the ability to money the staff any of that to do those protocols. Uh, I could see it going and starting December, January, sometime like that. You play an SEC schedule, or maybe beforehand, maybe you play just a high major schedule against Big Ten and against ACC schools who will test as well as you do. But I just don't think you could risk playing Travis. I mean, well, you guys talked about Eastern Kentucky football. I don't think you can risk playing Eastern Kentucky or, or, or Ball State or somebody that can't test as much and they get a kid sick and it infects your whole team. I still think you can take that risk. Yeah. I think that's that's totally fair, and I think uh, it, it makes me very excited that I'm not the one that makes these decisions, and and uh, I'm not in a point of leadership to where to where I have to make these. I tell you what, that ain't easy. Note too, if you saw this, I'm sorry to interrupt, but if you saw this, there's been talk about if they don't have a national championship in football, that these power conference schools and athletic directors are going to form their own championship this year. I don't know if you've seen that. So that may mm -hmm. be something to watch for in basketball. If they try to shut it down, well, you've got the Big Ten, the, the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12. These schools could take care of themselves on that thing. And, and that might be where they kind of say, okay, we'll play each other. We think we can do that in the empty arena. We think we can keep each other safe. So that might be something to look at. So don't be surprised if there is a non-conference schedule early. It's against other Power 5 type teams. I think that's going to be the best thing for Kentucky because all these freshmen, I would hate to know that they opened up against Arkansas or whoever in January, zero and zero with 10 new players. Yeah. I think as of right now, you're seeing throughout the world, you know, all of sports, not just, you know, college sports, but not just, you know, basketball, but football, football too, that like these players are starting to be empowered. The schools are starting to be empowered. They're looking at the NCAA like, okay, if you're not willing to, you know, have a, you know, fall championship here or, a, you know, March Madness here or whatever, they're starting to kind of buck up and be like, all right, well, we'll, we'll form our own. Okay. Uh, if the NCAA, you know, doesn't want to, you know, implement name, image, and likeness rules to allow us to start making money off our own names, especially if we start talking, you know, bubbles and, and, you know, unsafe, you know, on court and on field, you know, protocols that's when we start seeing these empowered kids that are starting to say, you know what, I can start making my own money somewhere. You give me an opportunity. I don't need you NCAA. I can go make my own, you know, make my own rules and, and, you know, I'll, I'll take my ball and go home. I mean, at, at this point, the NCAA, I think their hands are tied and I think they're, they're starting to realize that. And they're like, all right, well, we need to figure out a way to, to make all sides happy. And I think that, I think the NCAA released a pretty significant statement today regarding some of the, I think the, Big Ten released that that Players Tribune article about what they need, and I think a lot of those points were addressed in in the NCAA's newest statement. So I think they're starting to get it that they're losing leverage with these kids, but uh, I, I hope it, it doesn't happen, you know, too late where kids have say, you know what, screw it, we're, you know, schools say screw it, we're we're leaving and and coming up with our own thing. I, I mean, I think these next couple months are going to be interesting for sure, uh, with without a doubt. Um, well, let's, you know, do you guys want to jump into the, let, let's, let's do a, a pick your own adventure. Do you guys want to do recruiting updates first, or do you want to do the, the player comparisons? Uh, I'll say recruiting. 
and then do all the uh, wonky, goofy stuff at the end. Sweet. All right. Well, David, Travis spoke first. I'm so that's what we're going I, 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 last thing I will be known as is a troublemaker. There you go. Yep. Follow, follow <laughs> the rules and, and nobody gets hurt. All right. So we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about recruiting. The biggest news of the day, Sky Clark says he's cutting his list to seven, announcing that he's going to be committing soon. Uh, Travis, to be totally honest, I, I would put, you know, what, what you know above anybody else in the whole recruiting world right now, you know everything that there is to be known about Sky Clark and what's going on there. I'll give you the floor here. What do you think – uh, this news means and if you could kind of have a little prediction of when things unfold and what you know what what's going to happen here in, in the either near future or distant future uh, you know how, how do you think things unfold well obviously he uh, he's re he's going to release a top seven later later this week and to be honest with you it's pretty much just window dressing at this point I think it's a done deal for Kentucky I think that I don't know what class he'll end up being in. I think 2021 makes the most sense because he's college ready physically, but his family don't want him to be thrown to the wolves either uh, if he if he plays up with older competition. See how he does. They want to monitor the next couple of months is what I was told uh, earlier today. They want to monitor his progression the next couple of months and see how he does, how, see how he develops. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think this one's not going to be suspenseful at all. I mean, I'm – 135,000% sure he's going to go to Kentucky. So, um, yeah, there'll be a – I think Jack and I talked about this off air yesterday. I think it'll be a – Kentucky's kind of hit a lull recruiting uh, over the summer. So, I think it'll be good to get the ball rolling, whether it's for 21 or 22. Um, I think he's the type of player that a lot of players gravitate towards. Uh, just his personality, players want to play with him. He's a good person, good player. Um, likes to pass the ball. So I think, uh, but yeah, so I, I expect a decision within the next couple of weeks. That's the plan for as of right now. And I firmly believe it'll be Kentucky. Well, there you go. That's, that, that's big. David, if you could have your choice, Sky Clark for 2021 or 2022, based on, you know, their momentum with other kids who could be returning uh, with this upcoming, with this upcoming class, um, and what you know, how they're doing with with kids in 2022. Where would you rather have Sky Clark? It's hard to say right now, but probably 2021 because I think we we've already talked about some other possibilities of point guard in 2022 class. Um, Kentucky is, is kind of an odd. It, it's it's a good question because it's so hard to answer at Kentucky. In most places, if you've got Devin Askew, you're like, well, I'd like to see him, uh, Devin, you know, really have a good freshman season, you know, and, and he could be a stud point guard as a sophomore. And then uh, Sky could come in 2022. It doesn't work that way at Kentucky because you, you kind of basically got one or the other. Devin Askew has a really good freshman season and then goes on to the NBA or Devin Askew struggles and comes back your sophomore season. And if that happens, then you kind of think Sky might be the better uh, – have the better opportunity there. But I'm going to tell you something. I I've looked at Sky more as a point guard, but don't necessarily count him out as a shooting guard if he grows. 
you know, his dad, Kenny, thinks he can still get up to about 6'4", and if he does that, you're definitely looking at a combo, and and he and, and, and as well as Devin shoots the ball outside, and he's got some size, they can kind of piggyback. I mean, you could even see Devin kind of move to the shooting guard a little bit because Sky's a little bit quicker. So, you know, there's a lot of options. Uh, personally, I guess when you look at the big thing, 2021, because you're literally looking at a lag for Kentucky recruiting in that class. So they, I think they're probably looking at mixture transfers and guys reclassifying. So I, I would think that's probably what's in John Calipari's mind. Yeah, I wholeheartedly I want, agree. I want your all's opinion. What do you all think about him as a player right now? I know Corey Evans is really high on him, thinks he's the best point guard in high school basketball period. But I, I've seen him play multiple times. And while I like his game, I can understand why some people have a lot of questions. Uh, don't really prefer him compared to more some of the more uh, high riser guards. He's kind of a small. Uh, well, he's not small. He's like six two, but he's built like he's built like a linebacker sort of. He's like he, he's thick in the upper and lower body. But I, I understand why some people might prefer those types of types of guards. If you were talking to them, like how would you sell them on Sky Clark being a Kentucky point guard? I think it boils down to I think Sky Clark is the best ball handler in high school basketball, regardless of class. I think he has that nickname Skyrie, which I personally don't love. I'm not a big Kyrie Irving fan in the first place. Boston Celtics, he ruined our team, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, but in terms of ball handling, nobody could argue that Kyrie Irving is one of the best to ever, you know, touch a basketball and to be, you know, considered somewhat close, reminiscent of of that. It, I mean, it, it's solid praise, and I think it's it's earned. Sky is incredible, incredible ball handler, um, strong finisher. I love, love his frame, you know, strong, strong legs, can finish through guys. I, I think I am slightly, slightly concerned about just shot making. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the past couple times I've seen him, he's struggled to put the ball in the net a little bit, uh, but he brings everything else to the floor and, and the potential is there for him to be an elite scorer slash shooter once he gets to Kentucky. So I'm selling him as a, as a pass first, being able to create his own shot, you know, ball handling second to none out there. That that's what I'm selling him on first. David, what would your, what would your, uh, you know, quick scouting report be? You know, I've seen him on two different occasions this summer live. I saw him with you guys at Otter Creek when they had the run that on the Saturday and then I saw him at a, a combine in Memphis. And uh, it's it's really kind of hard to tell from both uh, as far as just having to say, okay, this is the breakdown and this is it. There's no doubt about it. I, I lean heavily toward the side that I think he's really good and is going to be really good. I don't have a lot of concerns. Uh, but like I said, I've not seen him either. It, it's been – like when we saw him at, at, at Otter Creek, he's playing against college players and pro players, and he looked like he was in his 20s, you know, with yeah. his body. And, you know, he got to the rim against those guys. He played some get some college kids and abused them. Uh, and, and then when you saw him out in Memphis, you look at the numbers, and J.D. Davison probably outplayed him. Uh, but J.D. Davison was on a team where you didn't have two or three guys fighting over the ball who was going to be point guard. And, 
a lot of times somebody else had the ball in her hand. Sky ended up standing over the corner doing nothing, which wasn't necessarily his fault. So I think it's been kind of hard to, to measure, uh, uh, you know, exactly. But, man, I, I, I like him. Like I said, I just can't imagine right now too many uh, guards his age being able to stay in front of him. The only thing that I would like to see him add is a, uh, is a little floater because um, he gets by his man, but sometimes he gets too deep into help. Uh, and, and you can tell he gets down there and he's trying to make up his mind at the last second. I would like to see him get by his man and before he gets to that shot block or shoot that little leaner and that runner. But, you know, I talked to, I talked to his trainers a lot, uh, uh, Jamal, and, and he says that's one thing that they're really trying to add to the games. I expect him to, to have that before long. Well, Corey Evans posted not too long ago. He thinks he's better at this stage than Darius Garland was. He told me that at Memphis when we were down there. Yeah. yeah. And my thing is, I'll play – I'm trying to see both sides of this. Um, I think Sky – like, I could I could understand why some people prefer different types of point guards. I could see why people are like, oh, yeah, I prefer Jane Bradley. I, I prefer this guy, this guy. But I think if you have a guy like Sky that is wanting to commit – you can't pass him up, uh, especially. Given I don't his, know why you know. would. No. I, mean, yeah. no, I think if John Calipari, if he committed now and he passed up, they, you know, somebody ought to go put a, a white jacket around him and, 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 and you know, find <laughs> him a good rubber room to sit around in. Yeah. I don't know why think, you would. My thing is David and I were talking about this. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, like the events that we've seen him play in, like the open gym and this past weekend with the Atlanta Celtics, like this past weekend with the Atlanta Celtics, like, he didn't play very well at all. He had, like, 12 points. His team lost to a uh, team that had been playing together for a while. Uh, Deshaun Ruffin is going to Ole Miss, lit them up. He's, like, 5'9", was killing them. But the thing is, like, you can't get too much from these types of events. because if you saw the videos at the end, and it, it was kind of a trending thing on Twitter, they spent the last minute trying to dunk balls in another team's goal. Yeah, that was the – yeah, that was a 16U game with Mikey Williams. That's why I was like, you can't really take too much away from these. I was like, no matter I, – even if he played great, I'm not going to get too high off of that. But it's – I was talking to uh, people close to him earlier, and they, they were saying that uh, it, was, it was a good and bad experience. Like, it was good to go down there and play like they had a good time in Atlanta, uh, got, to, got to see some friends. But they think it was a bad decision to go down there and play with a team that he never played with before, um, that – like, no practice, so there's no chemistry, like, between the team uh, and him. And it's it's like now they're wanting to see, like, he got his butt he got his butt handed to him. They're wanting to see, does he grow from this? Because apparently he's itching to get back out on the court. That's where we'll know what, what Sky Clark is. In a regular high school setting is, against a quality high school team is where we'll know what Sky Clark is. Uh, watching him play in that scene on a regular basis. We're not going to – Learn too much from him. Like he looked really good in the in the pro runs down in Tennessee. Can't get too much from that because it's a different type of basketball. Um, can't get too much from this AAU game because it's ripping and running with a team that you never played with before during COVID ball. It's it's just different. Uh, so, I mean, I'm high on Sky. I, I I like him a lot as a person. I like him a lot as a player. I think he's gonna be really good. Corey Evans thinks he can be a lottery pick. Um, they think he's going to be, like, top five in the class once all said and done. So, I mean, we'll see. Um, but I think if and when he commits, it's uh, going to be a good catalyst for Kentucky recruiting. 
Yeah. Above all else, that's what Kentucky needs right now. Momentum right now. I mean, we, what we've talked about on the show, it's not there right now in terms, I mean, Jaden Hardy isn't, I mean, we haven't heard anything about him being a, a soon to be commit. Um, Paolo Bancaro's talking about a November ish decision. Kennedy Chandler, he's trending toward Tennessee. He's going to be commi- be committing in, in November as well. I believe Brandon Huntley Hatfield's not committing till January. So we, you know, by this time last year, Kentucky had already locked up commitments from B.J. Boston and Cameron Fletcher, and they were already on the cusp of sealing a, a commitment from uh, Terrence Clark. He committed early September. Uh, Lance Ware committed not long after. So the momentum this time last year was infinitely better than what it is right now. And to get a guy like Sky to commit, who Travis, as you said, is a you know such a connect. He, he connects so well with his with his peers. Everybody loves him in, in high school basketball, regardless of class. Um, so to get the ball rolling there, even if he doesn't officially reclass right now, you know, he could secretly be, be recruiting behind the scenes saying, hey, man, let, you know, let's let's get you locked up for 2021. Hey, Jaden Hardy, let's get you locked up. Paolo, let's get you locked up. You know, to have that guy on your team, like a B.J. Boston, who connects so well with his teammates and, 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 and players in his class, I mean, I just think it's a it's a can't lose situation for Kentucky right now. If Sky Clark, you know, plunges for for that commitment here in the next couple of weeks, uh, as as Travis Graff of Cats Illustrated predict, uh, predicted. Now, uh, something I want to something I want to talk about is um, don't don't ever say my full government <laughs> name, by the way. But, <laughs> but uh, something I want to talk about is earlier whenever I was talking about Devin Askew possibly being a they're talking about him like having a chance to be a one and done people close to the program um, where they're reaching out to more guys, guys that, that they're recruiting now, like they're, they're not really recruiting them, but they're vetting them. Uh, it's kind of a weird process right now. Cal Perry wants to see these players play. So they're going to area, the assistants are going to areas that they're familiar with uh, talking with kids that haven't really been in too many talks uh, with Kentucky basketball recruiting guys like a, uh, Trevor Kills, uh, I've heard that they, they're possibly vetting him. Uh, Hunter Salas, they, Kentucky recently, recently reached out to him. Uh, Davey Jones, we've talked about him a lot on here before. They're reaching out to him. Uh, so you're going to see a combination of, like, honestly, it's going to be a weird recruiting class. Uh, you're going to see a lot of 2021. You're going to see a few 2021 kids, a couple of 2022 kids possibly, uh, at least maybe one, I would say, maybe two. Um, a couple uh, – and then I heard that they're going to go after grad transfers and transfers hard next season. And I asked it, I asked around – I was like, hey, is this because of the lack of offers for 21? Cal wanted to see them in person. They said, no, like this could be the new norm is us going after transfers. Well, the, uh, the expectation – go for it. Yeah, Aaron Torres uh, wrote or tweeted about a week ago that he could see – you talked about that new norm – that the coaches are paying more attention to the transfer portal than they are the high school senior top 150. And I, I definitely think that's a, a case, uh, you know, that, that uh, people start looking at transfers more, especially next year. But I, I wanted to say this, and this kind of was touching on what you guys were talking about all ago, but the way uh, commitments have gone, I know last week uh, going into last Monday, there were 62 players in Rivals Top 150 in 2021 who had committed. The year before, there were only 23 at the same time. 
and, and there was a slew. There have been a slew since then. So I would say there's probably been between 75 and 80, which runs about three, about three times more than we had last year. Uh, and I think it's of all the uncertainty. Uh, there's not going to be live periods. And I think that the transfers have something to do with that. So you're hearing a lot of these kids being pressured uh, a little bit who feel like, hey, if there's going to be a spot for me, I've got to do it now. Kentucky's not in that case. I talked to Chet Holmgren last week, uh, not being recruited by Kentucky, but one of the top two or three players in the country. And he told me, he said, I don't understand why, you know, the, the, the top kids would not wait until the spring. Why do it now? He said, you need to see what the rosters look like. You need to see what's going on with all the, the COVID situation. You know, uh, who's leaving each program? Who's coming in? So I think those are a lot of things to consider. So, you know, if, if you're a 2021 guy, if you are Jaden Hardy, if you are a Paulo Bencaro, I don't know why you would do it now. And I, I hear, you know, you're talking about, well, this guy might do it in September. I don't know why you do it then. I think everything going on, you know, the people are going to make, make a place for me if I'm that good. Man, wait it out and see what your best option is. A note on Jaden Hardy, an uh, interesting conversation I had with an individual earlier today. Um, we talked about on here, like, we think Hardy's got – UK's got a slight lead for Hardy they have for a while, uh, probably since last year. But the optimism isn't – it's not a home run like it used to be. They think that the West Coast teams are a legit threat, and they think the G League is a very legit threat for him. And while I still give – like – College-wise, I would not trade Kentucky's position right now for anybody else's. But it's not what it once was. It, um, it's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple months because, like Jack and I were talking about earlier um, before we started recording, like this was supposed to be – like when he was out in Vegas last year, uh, when Jack was out in Vegas last year watching them at the Tarkanian Classic, it's, uh, it seemed like it was all but a done deal. So if it was all but a done deal and you know you can't take – you're not going to be able to take official visits this year. I would put money on that right now. Why would you not commit somewhere that you have been a lock to for a while? And just adding all that together in the conversation I had today, it's like my confidence myself is waning on Kentucky, uh, on Kentucky chances for Hardy. Like I said, I wouldn't trade Kentucky's college – or co Kentucky's position with any other college. But I think there's other legit threats and – I'm not ready to say that I'm not ready to change my pick from Kentucky until I hear something more concrete and um, stuff for other schools or the G League starts to get the ball rolling more and more behind the scenes. But uh, definitely something to be on the lookout. I wouldn't put him in Sharpie in Kentucky's class. Yeah, I think that's the, the best way to look at it. I mean, it, it almost gets to the point where you're like, okay. I think Corey Evans said it in a couple of his updates. It's like, okay, you, Travis, like you said too, this kid has been a lock for Kentucky since, you know, midway through his, his junior year, I believe, or sophomore year even. I, I don't even remember the timeline of it. Time's kind of just irrelevant at this point. But he's been a deemed a lock to Kentucky since, for all I remember since he's been an elite, elite high school recruit. Calipari, Joel Justice, you know, the U.K. recruiting uh, coaching staff, they've been recruiting him as hard as anybody I've seen – uh, I mean, over the last year in particular, I mean, it's not out of a lack of interest. I mean, I, I just don't know what it would be that's holding him back from actually committing. He hasn't taken an official visit to Kentucky yet. He hasn't even – I don't even think he's been on campus yet. But 
for a kid that was so high on Kentucky for so long, talking to him, talking to his dad, talking to his coach, every time I've talked to him in the past, it's been, I've walked away saying, yeah, there's no way this kid doesn't end up in Kentucky. But the time, the the time is is starting to get to the point where it's like, all right, well, if you're not going to do it now, then are you ever going to do it? And, and uh, it's frustrating. And and I think that's, that's why the Sky Clark commit would be so big to have a, a voice that's already committed to be, you know, pulling for your program and potentially pull other elite talent like Jaden Hardy uh, to, to, to Lexington with him. So um, is there anything else you guys want to touch on in recruiting before we end the show with a little player comparison talk? Uh, nothing other than I'm still on my side of things. I'm still in a holding pattern with, uh, Paulo. I get, get a lot of questions on him all the yeah. time. I'm, uh, I haven't heard anything new on that recruitment. And like I said, kind of a holding pattern, just waiting to see him at this point. Well, let's move on to the, the kind of fun, fun segment that we had planned. We'll end the show with this. So oh, I, by I the way. Go, go for Luca it. Garza, you know, is coming back to Iowa. So, for all you people out there who are worried, no naked cartwheels. Good. Thank God. <laughs> Thank that, God. That would be a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would just be a nightmare scenario for all of us. So, thank goodness. Okay. So, I, today I posted an article over on, on KSR. It was a player-by-player breakdown, kind of a, a comparison po- post. Kind of went from – Top to bottom, all six signees. I did a realistic player comparison, a former Kentucky basketball player comparison, and an unfair player comparison, like uh, you know Kevin Durant for BJ Boston, you know that that type thing. That very unlikely to you know that BJ Boston becomes one of the best scorers in NBA history, but that's kind of the the long term you know ceiling. I guess you could you could possibly say that that's what people are comparing to in dream dream fantasy land so we're going to go through um each one let's start with bj boston i want you guys to tell me do you agree do you disagree do you have a a you know other comparison that you like better uh just tell me how stupid i am if, if i am stupid, stupid. Uh, thank you I, I appreciate it and that's our show thanks <laughs> okay bj boston will start realistic player comparison i had two of them i had kevin martin and Kelly Oubre Jr. Agree or disagree? Oh, and this is for BJ Boston. BJ Boston. I I saw the cam. Oh, me and you were talking about this on the phone the other day. I see the Kevin Martin uh, comparison. I like that one a lot because I think the Brandon Ingram comparison that everybody throws out. I mean, it's decent, but I think it's lazy just based on uh, mm-hmm. body type and slender build and recent recruiting. But I like I like the Kevin Martin one a lot. Uh, I, de- I definitely like that. David, stupid yeah, or, or see, smart? I can see Kevin Martin, yeah, because, you know, he he was more of a perimeter player and more ball-centric. And uh, I guess when you start talking about body types, we've been able to to match body types before with him. And we've mentioned players, you know, Corey Brewer, his game's nothing like Corey's. Uh, you know, I guess the Kentucky player I would think of would be Tayshawn Prince. His game's nothing like Tayshawn Prince's. Uh, I, I guess uh, the other one, uh, would be Mike Dunleavy, but uh, you know I, I think uh, BJ's much better putting the ball on the floor. Uh, you know Dunleavy could had a good mid range, could shoot the three, had a good mid range, but he couldn't get to the rim the way BJ does. So, but I, I like that kind of tells you like, though, what kind of outlier BJ Boston is. You know Jason Tatum's kind of a guy that's coming to our mind, but 
Jason Tatum, just there was a difference. I saw him at the same age, and there was a big difference in her game. So, you know, B.J. Boston is kind of a hard guy to compare to because – and that's a good thing because, man, with his frame, his, as long as he is, and all his offensive weapons, man, that's a, that's a tough one. I like I like the Mike Dunleavy comparison, and my Kentucky comparison would be a less stiff, uh, more willing passer on the fast break version of Kevin Knox. Uh, <laughs> oh God, Kevin Knox in the fast break! Oh, that was just yeah. a nightmare. You just said like PTSD. Oh, it sent chills down my spine. Oh, I want again. He's doing it. He's doing. The oh thing. God, uh, that was so horrible. I think UK comparison. I think that uh, Kevin Knox with a higher ceiling and. Uh, more wiggle is definitely a uh, good comparison and a much tighter handle. The other one I had was, was Tyler Hero. I think it's like a weird mix of Tyler Hero and, and Kevin Knox in terms of the length and size of, of Kevin Knox and kind of just scoring, you, you know, itch that Kevin Knox has, but the actual production shooting and, and just pure scoring that, that Tyler Hero had knack for scoring. I think, I think that's, Closely resemble, resembles that, but yeah, the body, yeah, that, that. the body frame that I remember back from the uh, Patino days, and I think maybe even went into. I don't remember if Tubby coached him or not. But I know the Patino days well, it was uh, kind of Walter McCarty at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, Walter McCarty when when he first got there, he was lean. He was about six nine, had a had a really good outside game, uh, was an exceptional shooter at that time when guys that size didn't shoot the ball. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Terrence Clark, I had, I'll just go through all of them and you guys pick and choose what you want to kind of speed up the process. Realistic player comparison, Will Barton and Karis Levert, uh, former Kentucky player comparison. It's like a, a mix of Shea Gilgis Alexander and like Archie Goodwin. And then unfair player comparison. I had Tracy McGrady. What, what are your thoughts? Uh my actual player comparison for him has always been a combination of Will Barton, uh, Karis LeVert, like you said. Karis LeVert's probably my, my favorite, like, body type and movement. And then uh, just with a hint of DeMar DeRozan. Uh, Kentucky, I would say Shea, just because, like I've said on here before, he's probably the best paint finisher that Kentucky has had. And, like, the way he maneuvers his body and the pace he plays at in the paint, um, I think they've got a lot of the same finishing characteristics. David, do you have a, a rebuttal there? DeMar DeRozan. You think yeah. so? Yeah. I, 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 and I, I think I'm looking at frame, too. And I, I know when we've been doing these film breakdowns, one thing I started doing is when we could watch some NBA games, I really started looking at body types. And I, I just kind of – even going over into his game a little bit, what he does, I like some of that. Uh, Gerald Levert, no way. Okay. Well, I I appreciate the feedback. I'm glad you got it. Travis has got a migraine. Yeah, I'm I'm out of it over here. So. All right, Devin Askew. Okay, Devin Askew was the hardest, hardest player comparison I had out of all of them. I mean, that's a kid because last time I saw him, he's listed at six three, but I'm telling you, I think he's a legit six four minus the hair. I know his hair kind of. He looks six six with his hair, but I, I, I truly think he is pushing six four right now, and he's strong, sturdy, kind of you know that six four, two hundred fifteen pound type build. Uh, and it, I'm telling you, something kept bringing me to 
like Andrew Harrison in his time at Kentucky that just his ability to kind of knock through defenders and finish it finish strong at the rim um, and I mean shoot I, I think second year Andrew Harrison shot 38 percent from three and I think that's a number that Devin Askey would love to, to have but um, some of the other guys I had were Kyle Lowry, Andre Miller, Jalen Brunson, Tyus Jones, the last two kind of just being competitive, uh, you know, stars at the college level that we think he could be a, a, you know, a big difference maker in the tournament. That's kind of what those two fit in. And then the unfair player comparison, I did Darren Williams. And then his dad actually gave me uh, Jason, Jason Kidd, and Steve Nash. Those were his two, his two thoughts on those. He was like, those, those are the two that I would add to the list that he kind of modeled his game after and secretly w- want his son to be, obviously. So, what, Travis, what, what did you think of, uh, of, of those lists, those guys? Yeah, I, I, like, I like the – I think you can – the play style for a lot of those players is the same. I don't think he's got to have a ceiling as, those guys, as a lot of those guys do. but Definitely. Hell, if these reports are right, maybe he does. <laughs> but I think um, I think for me, I'm going to go – I think Emmanuel quickly, uh, just based on play at Kentucky. Because until I see it and until I'm like no 100% with my own eyes, I'm not going to – I think Devin – I kind of question Devin Askew's uh, Kentucky point guard style. Kind of like Emmanuel quickly. Played amazing off ball. Um, secondary ball handler, handled the ball when he needed it when he needed to. I think him and Askew play the same way. Uh, I've talked about dribble separation on here with him before. Uh, Manuel quickly didn't get great dribble separation. That's why he played off ball. And that's – right now that's what I see him as. Uh, I see him – Jalen Brunson's, uh, I think, his ceiling. I think that's like if he hits his highest potential, I like Jalen Brunson. David, is there, a, is there a player comp that you have thought of in the past watching Devin Askew's film that – kind of stood out to you doesn't even have to be any of the names that I listed we, but uh, some of that stood out we've talked about kind of a comparison before and I've mentioned Daron Williams and that's an unfair one just because though they do have the same body frame and they they, they run a lot alike I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I was thinking about this last week as I was we were we were doing film breakdowns Travis and I were on him and there was a name that just flew off the page and I'm, it just hit me and I'm like man I can't believe I didn't think of it. It's more of an accurate, uh, to me, an accurate comparison. But that would be Skylar Mays that just grad- graduated at LSU. Interesting. Uh, yeah. He was 6'3", 190 when he graduated high school. He was 6'4", 205 is what he was listed last year go. at LSU. And it, it, you look at their feet and their body frame, and I don't – Skylar Mays kind of looked at me, and Deron Williams did too, that, that – they looked kind of like they kind of ran flat-footed. Mm-hmm. And they didn't – I guess they did some, but they looked that way. I, I don't see Devin Eskew as much on his heels maybe as those guys, on his toes a little bit more. But I still think body speed, body control, frame, all that, uh, a little – a, a lot alike. And uh, I think Skyler made – you know, he came off that. He was really good. But, you know, now he wasn't the guy that was going to go down, come off that ball screen and just blow the doors off everybody. But he was set it up the same way. He was really smart. And, you know, he was a really good outside shooter. So that that's a name that kind of comes to me. Okay. My favorite comparison that I had out of, out of all the guys was Lance Ware, Thaddeus Young. I think if the, the watching the tail end of his – 
you know, go, tail end of his senior year and looking at his AAU play. I think he's going to slowly move his game out. He's already at that 15-foot range. You know, I think he's going to, if he wants to be a, a kind of a stretch for, you know, kind of play on the perimeter a little bit more, be that athletic, you know, kind of two-way gritty guy, I think Thaddeus Young is – is is a is a perfect comp for that i think uh, i think thaddeus young is a super underrated guy kind of does all the dirty work for you um i i really liked watching his film and kind of comparing the two i thought they i thought they looked pretty similar um and if if he decides to stay you know kind of down in the paint just be that same gritty tough you know grind it out type guy grab tough rebounds put you know tough putbacks i think you got to go read travis as a kentucky kentucky comparison i think that's uh you know that's exactly what Reed Travis brought to the table there, and uh, unfair player comparison. I had I, I I stole that one from from twenty four seven Marvin Bagley. That was their player comp. I, I just couldn't think of a you know a, a gritty you know tough you know I guess you could do like a Zach Randolph or something like that. But uh, I, I definitely stole that one from twenty four seven. That was Marvin Bagley. What it, Travis? I know you've been you've been kind of hot on one individual comparison. Is there is there one that you want to share with the group? Dude, I might trademark this comparison. It's probably the most, like, um, far back I've gone for an individual player comparison. And, and it's so, like, off the wall. Like, people don't really think about it. Is Leon Poe, the played for your Celtics in the uh, oh, yeah. late, in the late 2000s, uh, helped them win a couple championship games – or uh, helped them win a championship and helped them uh, go on a couple long postseason runs because of his ability. He does the same thing Lance did. He's not a, an above-the-rim athlete. He's all grit. He's all hustle. And he was never the star player. He was a role player. And I'm talking about Lance is going to have a huge role at UK at some point. But I'm talking about long-term, like, NBA. Like, that's he's going to have to carve out a role like that. He's going to be the hustle guy. He's going to be the high-energy guy. Uh, gritty, rebound, uh, just work the baseline, uh, get putbacks. They're never going to draw up plays for him in the league, most likely. Um but that, that's a player comparison I love. And I can't really think of a UK player that, like, I guess you said Reed Travis. They don't yeah. play the same. But they, but they don't play the same. Like, they've got different strengths and weaknesses. But they have the same mindset. Um, yeah, that's, they, that's, they, that's they exactly what I put, yeah. And like David and I both said the other day, Lance Ware's from Camden, and they've got some tough son of guns that always – like, that's one thing about Camden. It's like Youngstown, Ohio. Like, everybody thinks about mm-hmm. the football recruits. Uh, that is the Youngstown, Ohio, of like gritty, tough, um, blue collar guys like come out of Camden and basketball. David, what, what's your uh, what's your best comparison yeah, for, for Lance? At Kentucky, or at, anywhere, any well, anywhere. Well, I'm going to throw two on you here. At, I'm going to say Kentucky first because it's on my mind. But you get my age, you forget really quickly. See, that's <laughs> on your mind. I'll go back, even though the body frame is totally different. It just the way they kind of swooped at the rim, the reach, uh, kind of their move off the dribble, remind me a little bit of Jamal McGlure. Uh, okay. Okay. Going back to Tubby's days, late uh-huh. '90s, he was just you know he, he was just so long uh, when he got turned, but he's a lot bigger than where he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I probably 40, 50 pounds bigger. Uh, I'm going to make the comparison with where to a player at a similar age 
because I don't know which way Lance Ware is going to go yet. Uh, and, and that is uh, uh, Akeem Noah. And, or, and, or Yakim Noah, I said Akeem. Yakim Noah. Um, and when he came on at Florida, he was an underrated guy. I was looking back. He was ranked like 93rd or something like that. My rivals coming out. They were pretty similar, 6'10", right around 200. But Noah grew up to about that seven-foot range and turned into a legit kind of five guy. Uh, and I'm going by tapes that I saw. I watched the same video you did that you went to the game against uh, Rancho Christian and Evan Mobley, who looked like oh, a very disinterested Mobley who he destroyed. And then I watched them play uh, – Roman Catholic out of Philadelphia and a very involved Jalen Duran. And um, the outcome was a little bit different, but in those games, he didn't make anything out in the mid range. He was like outside of the lane, like 0 for 6, 0 for 7. Everything was around the rim. Usually it was dunks. I noticed when he gets the rebound, he doesn't have to reload. He can stay high, how quick he goes up and finishes. He's left handed. He can get to that rim, kind of facing up a little bit. Uh, Corey Evans swears up and down. He's got a legit mid-range game. I've yet to see that. But if he does, uh, yeah, he could end up being really good. So when I make that comparison with Noah, Noah ended up 6'11", 7 foot. I've told Travis, and we talked about it, we've done a player breakdown and I'll admit, when you, we've talked about some of these guys before, I've not wa- I didn't watch quite as much film on them as I should have. I've watched a ton of it in the last two weeks. We've done every player but Cameron Fletcher. And when I saw where he's kind of the guy now that's kind of leaping off the page at me when I look at him and saying, hey, this could be the one here that could be better than I think. If he, but, but I've told Travis, he is a – He's, to me, he's got a five-man's game and a four-man's body. So either he's got to do one of two things. He's got to pick that perimeter game up, that face-up game in mid-range, and play like that four, or he's got to grow into that five and get to about 6'11". But the way the game's going now and talking to Corey, Corey says, look, all he's got to do is put on weight. And Corey thinks if he never grows another millimeter, he's a five. So all these UK, UK is is currently playing. They're they're penciling him in as a backup five from day one. So yeah. I think that's very interesting. Yeah. So Noah never obviously never picked up that mid range game. So if he does, you know, like I say, I I'm comparing them at the same age. But there's so many ways. I'm really interested in him because there's so many ways he could go. He could stay the same. His outside game could get better. He could grow. All of that could come together. If that happens, man, you got a monster, I think. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I, all I needed to see was him absolutely dominate against Evan Mobley. I mean, it, he, it wasn't even – I mean, it was every single possession on both ends of the floor just went at his throat. He was, you know, throwing elbows, going straight in his gut. Yeah. I mean, the, the competitive nature that he showed, I mean, it was just like – He's got a motor, man. Oh, so, I mean, I was like, man, this. If I were in John Calipari's shoes, I was like, oh, that's that's why. Hey, that right. makes that makes could all the sense. Be, could he be what we thought EJ Montgomery was going to be with a motor? Yeah, he's got more. You know, and that's that's a good point. 
when I watched him, and when we did a couple of videos on Twitter, Travis, if you'll remember, I had two in particular. One, it didn't look like much, but if you watch him seal in the paint, man, he got a guy, it's two feet in the, in, in the paint. It's just sealing his guy under the rim. If his guy tries to go around, he's, he's hip-checking him up high and sealing him. He can catch the ball with one hand. He don't have to load up. He just turns around without ducking or anything and dunks it. And the thing is, too, on defense, every chance he got a guy uh, uh, to block out, he blocked out, man, and it was butt nuts. I mean, it, it was – he was really blocking out. It wasn't just one of these where he stayed up and his back's in him, his butt's in him, and he refused to get blocked to get blocked out on the offensive end. I mean, he's constantly – if a guy blocks him out, he's getting shoulder to shoulder and he's trying to get to the rim and, and just little things like that, just not getting blocked out, block out, seal. You don't see many guys do that, not in high school. I mean, if you think of him adding 15 to 20 pounds – in a year at Kentucky, if he could hit that weight room and just, I mean, he, he has the frame. I mean, he has that wide, the wide shoulders kind of has that same, like Anthony, you know, when Anthony Davis kind of came in, he was that long kind of lanky, but you could still tell that he had that frame to put on weight and you see what he looks like in the NBA. Now that built, you know, true power forward that, I mean, I think that's what Lance could do in year one. I mean, just, just dedicate his time to the weight room you know, eat a, a million protein shakes, just lift weights until he gets bored. Like, I mean, if he could just put on a, a you know, solid, healthy weight year one, I mean, I think that year two for him could be, I mean, I think he could be a really, really talented guy. I think he could carve out a role day one, but year two is something I think, I think he could be a really, really special player. Um, all right, keep, let's keep moving down the list. Isaiah Jackson. I kind of came on this late. I had Jordan Bell for a long time, but the more I thought about it, I was like, man, this might be Robert Williams the third, who now plays for my Celtics, but he was, you know, Texas A&M standout, incredible shot blocker, you know, one of those just super athletic, super bouncy, can dunk it from all over the floor type guys. Uh, I really liked that comparison there. And then um, Kentucky guys, I said Nerlens Noel, kind of a mix of Nerlens and, and Marcus Lee, kind of what Marcus Lee was supposed to be, I guess. Um, and then unfair player comparison, I had John Collins. Travis, how – would you agree or do you think I'm always li- I've always liked the uh, – I've always liked the Jordan Bell comparison for him. Uh, I've talked about before, and Eric Bossy said it, I've talked to people in AAU, in AAU circles that believe he's got a top five ceiling in, in the 2020 recruiting class nationally. Uh, it's, I don't know if he'll put it all together while he's at Kentucky, but – Long term, they think that he he um, he definitely has that. But it's like his rim running ability, his shot blocking ability. I think he is what we thought we were going to get with Marcus Lee. But he, I think he's got high, much higher ceiling offensively. Um, meaning, when I say that about Marcus Lee, I mean Marcus Lee came right after Nerlens and after Anthony Davis. Whenever he came in, they're like, "All right, this is going to be the third best one that we've had." It's not he's not gonna be as good as these these two, but he's gonna be probably the third best. Marcus Lee had the worst jump shot or a shot block timing I've ever seen. But I think that if I think that same thing with Isaiah Jackson, like he's not gonna be those two, but he's gonna be a step behind them. He's gonna be the third or fourth best shot blocker that Kentucky's had. Um Willie Colley Stein was up there too. I think he I think he could be up there with uh Willie. Willie's gonna be a better overall defender, but I think in terms of just pure shot blocking, um, those two are gonna be a step behind Nerlens and Anthony Davis. 
see it. I see it. Uh, David, have you, did you put out a, that Isaiah Jackson? I've been kind of following those scouting report type yeah, things. Yeah, just the other day. Did the you? only thing about him, the, it, it looked like the teams he was playing against, uh, you know, that I was his defender trying to front him. And then when they threw the lob, you were the help defender coming from behind, trying to take the lob away from him. And then once neither one of us got it, you know, Travis is going to come and cut him under or going to the rim. And yeah. I mean, that's what it looked. I mean, he he was playing against a bunch of five ten guys. It looked like so. Yeah. <laughs> really, you know, you look at him and he's he's on the right side and he's just turning back into the guy of his right hand and just putting it over him instead of going with an offhand and using the body. And so it, it was just hard to tell. And you could tell, too, that there was a lot of times that he was really uninvolved in these games because, you know, like I said, he's got a bunch of midgets out there he's playing against. And, 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 <laughs> it, 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 and I've seen it before happen. I saw Ron Mercer was like that in the state of Tennessee, a lot of high school games, because that's what he was playing against. And, uh, uh, you know, they didn't use him in ball screens. He never rolled any. So it was basically kind of like a Mike D'Antoni isolation kind of game where they just went one-on-one. They kind of played him in a dunker position. And, you know, he was just uninvolved. So, but we know he can, like, he can run. He can jump. Uh, Eric Bossy says he's got some of the best natural shot-blocking tendencies and abilities ever seen. Dan McDonald thinks he can be the best center in the 2020 class before he's done. And you just see all this upside. Uh, I would compare him uh, to Jordan Mickey. Oh, interesting. LSU back second team all SEC in 2014, first in 2015, led the uh, the nation in blocks uh, in 2015, block shots. Played a couple of – yeah, I think he played with the Celtics there at one time. He's at mm-hmm. Real Madrid now. So, uh, you know, has had a good uh, – has had a good professional career. But he was 6'8", 235. So, they're built nothing alike. But he's got that springiness and and, and just, you know, just a knack. No, I see it. I, I do. I, I, he's a little bit smaller than I thought he was. I think some sites lift him at, list him at, uh, I think, some – one list, I think ESPN has him at six eight, maybe. Um, but every every side I've seen, he's one ninety five or higher. His, I think his, his highest dad, is his dad insisted. You know, he was uh, he was close to six ten last time I talked to him. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. So he's probably a little bit bigger, and I think he he's gonna he already has pretty solid size on him. I think he is already two ten, two fifteen. So if he could get up to that two thirty five, you know, t- type type range, I think. I think it'd be impressive. I think the, my my comparison, Robert Williams, a third. I think he's currently like two thirty eight, two forty type size, and I mean he's one of the most explosive young players, you know, in, in the league right now. I'm, you know, very it's raw. Like, Isaiah both bring some of the same strengths and intangibles. They're 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 long. They're just they got a. They're, they're both rim protectors. I think. Uh, they can block shots, uh, you know, run the floor, rebound. Uh, their, their frames are kind of similar. Uh, I, I would say wear a little bit, or maybe it got him a little bit uh, of an edge uh, as far as, as, as mass goes, but maybe not. We'll see. 
but it'll be interesting to see who can make the most improvements. There's some differences there, but I see a lot of uh, that they've got a lot in common, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's end it with this one. Cameron Fletcher. Okay. This one was kind of easy, but kind of tough considering, you know, fans probably aren't going to like this one. Um, I had realistic player comparison. I had Charles Matthews, not the Charles Matthews we saw at Kentucky, but uh, the one that we actually saw at, at Michigan, you know, how he ended up buying into his role and was a huge difference maker, especially on the defensive end of the floor as a, as a true versatile, you know, perimeter defender. I mean, he bought in and I mean, he just, he took on that role like, like crazy. I mean, he helped them win a ton of games. Um, former Kentucky comp- player comparison, I had Khalil Whitney, which is obviously something fans aren't, you know, happy to hear, I'm certain. Um, and then I think he needs to be what Khalil Whitney was supposed to be. When when Khalil came in, he was supposed to buy into what that same role that, that Charles Matthews was supposed to buy in when he first came to Kentucky. Neither of them did. And uh, I think – you know, that's why both of their careers ended up going the way they did where they left Kentucky earlier than they should have. Uh, but if he buys into that role that Khalil Whitney was supposed to be, that just strong defender, you know, work your butt off, you know, jump the passing lanes, try to, you know, deflect as many passes that you possibly can, catch, you know, catch and shoot corner threes and just rim run, catch lobs, dunk, dunk the ball. Like if he could just buy into that role from day one, I think he can carve out a role. I think he can get solid minutes. And uh, I think year two, he could be a a pretty solid player year three. Maybe if he's there that long, uh, I think he could be a real difference maker. So uh, those those were the main comparisons I had. I think um, we were in a group chat, Travis, so you saw this one, but I think the unfair player comparison would be miles bridges probably. Um, but yeah, I think he's a really intriguing guy physically. I think physically he's just a dominating, dominant, you know, athletic guy, but he has so much to put together in terms of just pure skill. So, uh, really tough to kind of figure out what he's going to be at the end of the day. Travis, what, what do you, uh, what would be your best comp for him? Um, I think I can't come up with a really good player comparison, but you hit the nail on the head in terms of role and, uh, what he'll bring to the team. I think, like you said, if he buys into, he has to do, for him to be a two through NBA player, just be a future NBA player, he has to buy into the role that Kentucky has set out for him, which is the exact role that you said, the, the Khalil Whitney role, the Charles Matthews role. For him to be an NBA player, he has, he's going to be he's gonna be a three and D guy. He's never going to be a primary ball handler. He's never going to be an elite scorer. He's going to be a bench, at, at best, in my opinion, he'll probably be a, a, a bench three and D guy where he comes in, Play solid defense, has a high motor, uh, rebounds. That's something that Cal Perry said that if Khalil would have got m- much more minutes last year if he would have grabbed one or two rebounds every time he's in the game. If he can do those, run the floor, hit corner threes at a 30 plus percent clip or better, because that's where his spots can be in the NBA. Um, hit trailer threes uh, every now and again. I think that that is what is going to be his path to a professional basketball career at the highest level. I wholeheartedly agree with that. David, what's uh, what's your player comp for him? I really don't have one. This is going to be our next player breakdown. I'm going to start on it tonight. So we'll have the story up by Friday at the latest. And Travis and I are really going to kind of watch some film. So 
I want to come back at this one next week. Let this be a question I answer next week because I'm going to be honest. I, I, I want to really kind of dig in and watch. I've not watched enough of him to where I feel comfortable making one. So, But I'm going to say this. I'll trump you on the comparison that people wouldn't like because the first time that I watched uh, when I really started watching Ware heavily, he's just all over the place and falling down and falling over people. and all. I'm like, oh, my God, he's John Fulkerson. So, you know, I, about, <laughs> I threw up in my mouth on that one. So it's, uh, and the headband, John Fulkerson, oh, his, his bangs and headband. Flopperson. <laughs> oh, yuck. Um, yeah, I, I, I am – I feel bad because I feel like a lot of fans are really down on Cam because they saw his AAU play. And, and you know, there, there's, there's some reason to be pessimistic about Cam Fletcher. I, I totally understand it, but – I, I trust the, the long-term vision that Coach Cal has for him if he's willing to buy into it, unlike Khalil Whitney and Charles Matthews before him. Uh, I think if he does what they didn't, he'll be a very successful and, fa- I mean, fan favorite type guy at Kentucky. I mean, who the reason why we like the DeAndre Liggins of the world, why we like Dominique Hawkins, the, uh, you know, Michael Cape Gilchrist, obviously he was a number two draft pick, but that on that same, you know, high-intensity – gritty perimeter defender guy that's just going to get up in your face and, and make an impact. If he could be that type of guy, I mean, Kentucky fans would love him. Just, I mean, he's a high flying dunker can block the block shots at times, hit corner threes. I mean, he, there, he has a role on this team. It's just about buying into it and, and making that a long-term, long-term thing. For we sure. said this, that bigger wing, there's a lot of company there. So the guys that buy in and do what they're supposed to do, they'll make it. And the guys that don't will try to make it somewhere else. And, you know, he's not the only one in that situation. So, you know, somebody's, somebody's going to take the step and somebody's not. I, I, that's, that's perfect right there. And with that, let's, let's end it right there. Um, Travis, where can fans find your work? You can find me alongside David Sisk at Cats Illustrated. Uh, you can listen to my other podcasts, CatScan Podcasts on every podcast network. Uh, go like it, rate it five stars, yada, yada, do all that good jazz. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at TravGraph underscore Rivals. Uh, and David? Coach David Sisk at Twitter and along with Travis at uh, Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network. And as we said, uh, we will be having a scouting report with film on uh, Cameron Fletcher here by Friday. Beautiful. Boom. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Uh, you can reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. When we post this, you'll see the link. Go click on that link and follow it for the, for my bookie. Go follow their promo. It's awesome. Uh, you'll win a ton of money. I believe in you. So we will be back next week for another Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. It's just a